From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post Podcast. Here with Scott Cullen of TSN, longtime TSN hockey guy. Uh, I've only met you once, Scott, in, in Ottawa at a yeah. hockey analytics conference, and here we are again on Bloor Street in Toronto. Yes. We are We are going to it, talk... It, it hasn't been a direct path, that's for sure. No, I know. It's not like the, these two things are, are connected in any way, but um, it's nice to sit down with you because I've read your work for years and finally having you on the podcast, and... Uh, you know, I wanted to do a trade deadline primer of some kind, and I thought you'd be a good guy, sure. someone who knows the league very well. Um, how long have you been at TSN, anyways? Uh, I first started there in 2001. So, Ooh. I mean, I, 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 there was a, a nine-month span where I wasn't there, kind of a couple years into that, but so about 15 consecutively. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, time flies, man. <laughs> well, and, and you, do, you do a lot of fantasy stuff. You do yeah. power rankings. And then your statistically speaking column, um, I would imagine, is well read, and it seems like it, it filters throughout Twitter. So yeah. you're you're just always sort of pumping out copy. That that that's the way I would describe uh, your job from afar. Is like you're just on top of everything. Well, I try, and and that's um, look, it, it, you know, trying to stay on top of everything for hockey. It, it can be challenging, but I mean, goodness, who who complains about? You know, oh, I have to read more hockey news. I need to, uh, you know, look into more stats. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff I dreamed about doing as a kid. So, yeah, I, I do it. And, um, like, yes, I, I try and stay on top of as much as I can uh, in the NHL. But, like, I'm, I'm covering other sports, too. So it's Yeah, I was just going to say, I have trouble wrapping my head around the NHL and, and – dipping my toes into junior hockey here and there. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I pay attention to other sports more as a casual fan. Sure. Basketball probably as the number two, but in no way could I speak expertly about them. Well, I, I would say the, the great advantage to that is uh, you know, spreadsheets and databases and things yes. like that that I've... And this goes back to even when I started at TSN, I was, you know, I had these things on my own. Uh, and now kind of as the years have gone on, I've sort of refined what I have so that I, it's easy for me to kind of pull up something. And go, okay, now I know, uh, you know, where we're going uh, on a certain subject. And, um, you know, it, the, the thing is you, when you're online and you, and you see all the information that, that is poured out there is like, you can almost get overwhelmed, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like Absolutely. I feel like I'm learning so much as I read this and I read that, but it's like I, I need to file it somewhere. Yeah, you know, I, I need it somewhere in, in either in my brain or on, or on uh, on a spreadsheet somewhere where I can kind of go, okay, now you can reference. I, yeah, so I can kind of pull it uh, when I need it. You play. I, yeah. This is according to your TSN bio. I, th- <laughs> I think it was that's where I read it. You played three years at Laurier. Yeah, for Laurier yep. University. That's pretty good, yeah. man. Well, there was, why we not were, four? Why not five? Uh, you know what? You know, <laughs> yeah, you know what it was because my first two years I stayed. Uh, like yeah, I'm from Kitchener, Ontario, which yeah. is you know right right there where Laurier is. Uh, and, but I played junior B for uh, our team, and we were we were an awesome junior B team. So I I, I stayed and played junior B on on a great team rather than kind of on the fourth line at, okay, uh, okay. at, at Laurier for, uh, for my first couple of years in the university. Where, what kind of player were you? Get, <laughs> give me an, an NHL comparable. <laughs> an NHL comparable. That, that's, uh, I don't think any of them are that bad. Uh, in, Type of player. It doesn't mean you are the in, player. In, in, in junior, I could score quite a bit. Okay. Uh, in, in university, I was basically a third line penalty killer. You know, I, I got some goals, some points, but mostly a checker. Sounds like Lars Eller to me. 
That's not bad. That's that's uh, that's actually uh, probably in, in the ballpark. Okay. It, it a little disappointing offensively. That, that would probably be me. The Canadian Lars Eller is among us. All right. So uh, the trade deadline, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. There's probably a big trade that just broke on Twitter that we're not paying attention to. And, you know, obviously I'm joking, but fingers crossed that nothing dramatic happens while we're recording this and while I edit it and get it online. But um, I want to look back on the last couple of days and then look forward to um, really the next five days is what's remaining of this trade window. Um, Okay, if we can look back, I don't want to go too far. Let's start with uh, Peter Morazic. He goes from Detroit to Philly for two conditional picks. Uh, Philly in dire need of a goalie. I mean, they didn't have much leverage here. They needed a NHL caliber goalie. I I, kind of like it in in a storyline sense because it's like, this is Morazic's like, you know, there's no excuses after this. Morazic, you have the reins. You have uh, a, a team that looks like it's headed to the playoffs. Show us what you got. Yeah. And, and given that Philadelphia was in fairly desperate straits, you know, with injuries, uh, keeping Brian Elliott and, and Michael Neuberth out long term, you know, I, I think they did all right. You know, giving, um, I, and I suppose this doesn't speak very well to, to what Detroit's plans were for Peter Morazic. That they're happy to take. Yeah. I mean, they get two conditional picks, but one of them is conditional on him re-signing in Philadelphia, which seems unlikely. Yeah. So it's really one, one pick that they're gonna, they're going to get out of it. And um, but it's probably for a player that Detroit was not going to qualify. Right? Well, they they probably weren't going to give him four million as a restricted free agent, and then and so this is that's what makes him available. Um, but I think it's yeah, it's a good opportunity for Mrazek to you know play a starter's role for a month or six weeks and um, and see see how he does. But like you say, he's, he's got a Philadelphia team there that looks like they're headed to the playoffs as long as they get competent goaltending. It's pretty rare, though, right, for this close to the deadline, a team needing a goalie. Like, it's not like they need a backup. It's like they need yeah. a starter. And I don't know how Detroit didn't get more than that. But at the same time, there, there's been rumors and, and – reports for months about about how the the team and the player didn't necessarily get along what what, i'm not sure what that had to do with but it goes all the way back to the expansion draft yeah so i mean that that's a lot of lingering um i guess tension so i guess maybe they were just like okay first offer let's go yeah well and you look a couple years ago he was their goaltender of the future and he had had a good start to his career um basically through his first two seasons and then last year it kind of went off the rails and you know and, and he had a little more leeway, like when he was playing well early in his career, because right. Jimmy Howard wasn't playing very well. But then, as as Mrazek's game fell off last year, Howard started to play all right again, and Detroit kind of circled their way back around on Jimmy Howard. That okay, we've got a starting goalie here. You know, they had him under contract for a long time, and so they they're still committed to him as the starter, I guess. Um, but it didn't really leave a great opportunity for Mrazek to kind of bounce back. You know, he's been kind of stuck as a backup, and as you say, whatever whatever is kind of going on between Mrazek and the organization, you know, they didn't seem terribly inclined to, um, to see this through. And so, you know, that's, you know, I guess a, a, a split, um, but I think it's a, a decent opportunity for Mrazek. And, you know, if he plays well, it probably sets him up to get a decent job in the summer. Yeah, and <laughs> speaking of, uh, you know, setting yourself up, Erica Branson signs a uh, a four year. Your eyes lit up when I said oh, yeah. that. four Love year, four million per season deal with the Canucks. That guy's set up financially. <laughs> um, it was it was an interesting uh, 
I guess, rumor or report to follow from, you know, the start of, of oh, we might be getting $4 million to it actually happening because people just didn't believe. Well, they sort of believed it because the Canucks sure. do things that, I guess, uh, go counter to maybe what's happening online or sure. what, quote-unquote, smart fans or analytics people think. But, I mean, I don't know. Even, even if you're, like, a, a, an old-school person, I don't know how you justify the term... The money is not bad, but it's still like he's probably more closer to two million, one million. But I mean, what does this guy bring to the table in 2018 when the NHL is so fast? When he his footwork just isn't good enough. His underlying numbers are are bad, disastrous. Straight this up, year. okay, yeah, maybe I was this, being this, kind. This year they're disastrous, and he brings no offense to the table. It's like okay, so and then Benning. I saw a quote on Twitter. I don't. I guess I didn't see the full context, so I don't want to. Um, crap on him too much, but Benning's response to you know why he's good um, as sort of a rough and tumble guy is it, it, it amounted to he's six foot five. Like that's yeah. what it came down the, to. The things that that are beyond the the, the analytics. Yeah. That so was, what did you think of Gabranson? Is my long way uh, of uh, getting to that question. Well, in some ways it was entirely predictable. You know, you knew when um, when they gave Jim Benning the the extension and all there was all this talk that. Oh, and one of their priorities is to get Gabranson signed before the trade deadline. It's you know, okay, you've you've kind of made your bed here. Is that um, you know when you're the Vancouver Canucks and you, and you know you've struggled, missed playoffs for this will be the fourth time in the past five years that they missed playoffs, um, and this is kind of all falling under Jim Benning. You know, if you decide you're going to go three more years with Jim Benning or however many more years his, his deal is, that okay, well you expect that he's going to dig you out of this. And they do have some good prospects, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's I'm, I'm sure that was kind of his big selling feature is that he's got some uh, some good prospects. He's clearly in, a good scout in the pipeline. Right? I mean, it seems it seems that way. Um, like the the interesting thing, right, is that they've got some really good prospects, but they've also missed yeah. on some of their high picks. Like you, you know, they they hit huge with Besser at what twenty three. I think it was twenty three. Um, but then you know you took Jake Vertanen ahead of uh, Nylander and Ehlers. Like mm-hmm. that's that's going to hurt your franchise for. You know, for ten years or, or more, um, missing on those guys, and, um, and or Ole Yulevi. I mean, we don't know what he's going to be, but you know, he's not Matthew Tuchuk. We know that. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's a you know some work to be done, I guess, on on some of those prospects. But yeah, he he has enough prospects in the pipeline that you can say, okay, you can see some future, and and maybe Vancouver is going to turn around. Um, but then when you see them tie themselves to to Good Branson, it's like you you worry. I think not as much about the that specific contract as you do about the process of okay, why does this team want to tie themselves to Eric Good Branson? Yeah, he's big and yes, he's physical, but you know, are the results you, there? What's what's the point of being big and physical if you're getting outshot and outscored? Like one of the things is that this year he's not, um, you know, he's he's benefiting from goaltender save percentage and. You know, that's the kind of thing that runs up and down yep. year after year. Uh, an individual player is not going to control that very much, uh, if at all. And and so the fact that he's, he's been getting buried in terms of shots this year, and, and if you look at, um, go on hockeyviz.com and look at his mm-hmm. uh, heat map, I mean, there's this, it's a crime scene of, <laughs> of, crime of blood scene. red out in front of the Vancouver net. And, and so... That that's a lot it's of pretty shots. Pretty simple math. A I lot mean. of shots are coming in, but it, it managed. He's managed. To, I think the I think the five on five save percentage is like nine thirty nine or something. So he's 
he's sort of been fortunate that way, so he's not getting horribly outscored. But that's the kind of thing that, you know, next year that save percentage could be 919, which I think is, is what it was uh, last year. Well, all of a sudden, if you're getting a shot like that and outscored and, and your goaltending isn't great, well, then, you know, the number's going to look horrific. And, and so I don't, I don't know. Look, I think the, the same reason that they're tying themselves to Eric Branson is why any teams kind of tie themselves to big, young physical defensemen at this point is that that's, that's sort of the old way hockey was played, is that you want a, a big, tough guy who clears the front of the net. And, and there's an appeal to that, like at a, you know, a base level that hockey guys really like that. Yeah, there's a highlight pack fact, that you can build around him mucking it up. But, but other than that, is he useful? But, yeah, well... Probably not. It's certainly not useful enough to commit four million a year to, right? Like, like all that clearing in the front of the net, um, you know, you you end up ignoring the part where he banks the puck uh, off the glass and the other team counters and comes back in on, on an attack, and and that's sort of what the story is with with Goodbranson is the other team is always on the attack. You're always playing with fire if he's and, and so putting you in those situations. And, and look, there are other parts to Goodbranson. Like, look, I the people in Florida loved Eric Goodbranson and and. I think I joked with somebody uh, after that deal was signed. I said, like, if Vancouver didn't sign him, Florida would have been <laughs> racing, racing to, you know, free agency on July first with an offer, like because Dale Talon and those guys down there they loved him. Um, but, That's the thing. I'm but sure, sure Eric Abrantz is a great guy, and he has a great beard, and there's <laughs> there's a lot of good things about him. But yeah. those things aren't conducive is necessarily it, to winning hockey games. And is it worth spending the money for that? Yes. Right? Like it's, it's, yes, we want Eric Goodbranson on our team and, you know, we think he's a, a good leader and, and that's fine. And, and the Canucks aren't even playing a bunch. He's playing under 18 minutes a game right now. So, you know, they sort of, they must recognize some of the limitations yes. to his game. But if you recognize those limitations, then don't pay him as a guy who should be playing in your top four. You know, like if Eric Goodbranson's on your third pair, you can probably survive. I mean, that seems to be, you know, what a lot of teams do with the, the big physical guy as they start to realize that, you know, those guys are running into trouble. You put them on your third pair and, and you can kind of manage their minutes and, and you do okay with it, but then you don't pay them $4 million, um, you know, for multiple years. That's, you know, that's something that, um, you know, you're tying up money that you would ho- hopefully spend on, on, you know, better long-term investment. So, now, I mean... <sighs> Whether that's going to, you know, hugely undermine Vancouver's rebuilding process, I don't know. Because presumably, as they get younger, they're going to have a bunch of cheap guys start coming into the lineup. And I mean, there's, know, ha- there's been... having this one defenseman on a four million dollar deal isn't the yeah. end of the world. But again, this goes to the overall process. Why yes. do you want to tie yourself to Eric Goodbranson if you really want that big physical guy? Go find somebody on July first who will take a million or two million. Exactly. You know, thump bodies on your on your third pair. And maybe just for one year. Maybe don't yeah, hook exa- yourself exactly, to him. Right? Yeah. Okay, enough about Gabranson. We spent like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. on Eric Gabranson. Way too long. Let's look yeah. ahead. Let's look at the possibilities out there. And we'll start with a team that is reminding me of Vancouver, uh, the Ottawa Senators. Because, well, one, they're Canadian. And two, there seems to be a bit of a confusion around this team in the the way that they're trying to go about their business. Clearly, there's something going on with the owner, Eugene Melnick, and I mean he's come out and said he wants to shed money, but it, there's kind of a gray area where we don't know if this is going to be like a complete sell off or if it's going to be like out the door goes a couple of guys and we're going to keep this guy and this guy. Like it could end up by the end of next week it could end up being a completely different centers team or could look similar um i think they're a pretty big wild card but the one player that they have aside from eric carlson who 
we'll see if he moves. But I want to talk about Mike Hoffman because he may be more likely. Um, and I just he's a player that you don't hear in rumors so often. Um, a dynamic guy. He's got a good shot. Um, produces well for for the minutes that he plays. Uh, and he signed with a pretty reasonable contract at five point two million per season through. 2019-2020. Have you thought about where Hoffman may fit in? Well, I I wonder... uh, I mean, I think if if the Senators are going to really blow things up and and trade guys, um, like if they decide they're going to trade Hoffman, to me, well, then you may as well trade Carlson too. You know, like, because... Trying to lure Carlson back to your team while trading away one of your top offensive threats. They only have you're, so many good players. You're, you you're, you're kind of you know indicating to Carlson that okay, we're going to rebuild here, and why does he want to you know be on the hook for two or three years of and it could be more of you know rebuilding with young players and um, you know just because um, you know he wants to stay in Ottawa. Like I, you know, my my impression is that he he likes living in Ottawa and would like to stay in Ottawa. He's married to someone from Ottawa, so that would be natural. But the, I think the direction of the team probably matters to him. Uh, you know, at this stage of his career, that if you're about to sign this big contract, you would like to be with a team that is you know geared to win. And and so if you know if you're Ottawa and you say okay, we're going to move Mike Hoffman. I mean, you can probably get a pretty good package in return for Mike Hoffman. Uh, because he's under contract and it's not a, it's not an unreasonable contract, and he's one of the top five on five goal scorers um, in the league over the past say three four years. And he's he's almost um, money to get twenty five goals yeah. or more. Like it's been consistent yeah. over his and, the last three like, four years. Like it's not as though his game doesn't have flaws, but you know you you can work with that with what he's got. You know he's terrific skater, good shooter, and and so if you put him you know with other skilled players, you're going to get results. And so like I I mean there was a I think rumor while back and this is you know it's probably reached the point now where it's no longer you know under consideration but St. Louis was a, a team that got kind of attached to Hoffman right. and you know he'd be a pretty good fit there that you know you could the probably, Robbie Fabry replacement well whether and, and that this is part of the reason that St. Louis is an interesting team is they have pieces that they could send yeah right and Fabry is a possibility right coming back off injury uh Jordan Cairo yeah uh, their prospect who played for the world junior team is is one um I think every team that um if you're offering something big to St. Louis, you try and get Robert Thomas, the the center, oh, yeah. right? Um, but my guess is St. Louis would be really reluctant to to move Thomas. But you know, Cairo or Fabry um, as sort of the centerpiece of a deal coming back, you, you're probably gonna be able to get something pretty good if you're St. Louis. And if you're St. Louis, and um, you know, this is not a bad time actually to be out looking for scoring wingers. Um, if you look at the guys who are available, and so if you want to get Hoffman, that's great. But if you don't want Hoffman. Go, go call Montreal about Pacioretty. Go yep. call... Um, There's Rick Nash out there. Yeah, like there, there are Kane, lots of scoring lot. wingers. That's sort of the thing that you yep. can get um, and maybe play these teams off each other a little bit. Um, in, and so I don't know whether Ottawa is going to move Hoffman, but I also think that you know once you get these guys as they head towards their late 20s, um, you're, you might be better off moving in. Like if, if you're in the case where you're Ottawa and you're probably going to rebuild. Yes. You know, hanging on to Hoffman so that you're not quite as bad as you, as you expect is is you know probably not worth it. You're you're better off getting Cairo and a pick or or something. Um, you know, that's going to help you longer term. There's a lot of volatility in Ottawa right now. Um, <laughs> yes, to say the to say the least. One of your TSN colleagues, I can't remember if it was Drager or 
or uh, McKenzie or LeBron, but they they said uh, I believe it was last night that there's a high level of interest for uh, Eric Carlson and that Dorian is and this is a great quote aggressively listening. I don't really know what that means, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> Apparently the the asking price. That's what I'm doing right here. Yeah, <laughs> aggressively listening to your uh, your question. I like it. I like it. Um, apparently five to seven pieces, including impact players, prospects, picks. It's not surprising. Like this yeah. is Eric Carlson we're talking about. But yeah. um, I wonder. You know, Pierre Dorian just got extended, so he's not really um, trying to save his job. Like, is this the time that he blows it up? And and yeah, I mean. I don't know. I know that the owner likes to meddle, and he's not going to. Dorian's not going to go ahead without getting a sign off. But it might be the best time to do that when your job security is there, and the team's kind of in in shambles. Let's face it; the whole season's been you know controversy after controversy, and uh, this whole Carlson thing. It, it seems to be getting so uh, so built up and so far away from what it originally was, which was Carlson probably wants to come back. Now it's like. Why would he come back? You know what I mean? It's gotten yep. to that point. Yep. So, you know, there's Derek Broussard. There's uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot that that apparently are, are in the, the rumor mill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bobby Ryan's contract. So, like, there's yeah. so many moving parts, but I don't know. D- does Dorian pull the trigger now, or does he wait for the summer? Yeah, how, how big a swing does Pierre Dorian want to uh, make is exactly. sort of the question, right? Like, um, I, think, I think what happened... Remember when Drew Doughty said, when he was talking about free agency, yes. right? And he kind of mentioned that he would talk to Eric Carlson about it. And Carlson just kind of said, well, I'm, I'm going to go for market rate because, I mean, he's been a pretty good value player on his current... He was just saying whatever, market, right? like, what is on everyone's every, mind. Everyone yeah. expected that he was going to get go for market rate. But it kind of as soon as he said that, you could feel some pushback, like, uh, you know, from Ottawa. Like, oh, well, we're not getting a hometown discount <laughs> here. And, then, yeah. you know, you've kind of had a hometown discount with Eric Carlson for a while. And... Um, you know, this is this is his chance to to really cash in, and um, and if Ottawa, like to me, this is sort of on on the Senators. If the Senators um, are prepared to go, all right, well, here's eight years and eighty million or eighty five million or yep. whatever whatever the price is going to be to to satisfy Eric Carlson, then okay, go ahead and do that and build your team around him, um, and and hope that basically that he ages well. Um, you know, because Which you might not after he, that injury, right? Like he's had some injuries, and if if you want to commit eight years to it, I mean, the odds on him falling off and being awful, I mean, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. But I mean, right now you're counting him on as a game-breaking difference maker, you know, superstar. Um, how much longer do you get that? You know, maybe that's the next three or four years, and then those next four years he's just a guy. You yeah. Know? Maybe maybe that's what you get. Um, and so it's it, this is why as much as it would be a PR nightmare for them to trade Carlson, um, hockey-wise, you could make a, a deal that makes sense. Um, and I think PR-wise, it's a problem because everyone's worried about the finances of the Senators and they don't think that... Um, well, know, and they're already not getting high attendance, so right. there's a lot of sort of pressure yeah, to feel yeah, that at least an okay well, team, not a terrible if, team. If you have poor attendance and you trade away that your most entertaining and best player, well, the attendance isn't likely to no, go up, right? No. And so... And if people have this question that oh, the owner's not committed enough to, to spend money on on these you know high end players, well you know what are we even doing? Kind of becomes the fans' uh, feeling on this. But you know if if you were Ottawa and said okay, well we're going to move Eric Carlson, and, and I don't know if the number is five assets or or whatever that you can get back, well if they're really good assets, you, you can make a, a good argument to your fans that okay, look at these are the you know, these are the pieces we got and, and a couple of first round picks and mm-hmm. presumably good prospects yep. and a good young player or two good young players. Like if you've got 
that coming uh, in return, you know, it, you might be able to turn the team around in a year or two, and and really fans will they'll follow results, right? As much as you know, yes, they love watching Eric Carlson. They don't love watching Eric Carlson on a team that's going nowhere, which is where they are right now. Oh, Ottawa. <laughs> uh, you talk about PR and, and the, how that factors into things. The New York Rangers decided to get ahead of the story, if you want to call it that, a yep. couple weeks ago and wave the red flag, or sorry, the white flag, not the red flag, yeah. the white flag and say, we're open for business, you know, your best offers. Yep. You know what I mean? Dot, dot, dot. And, and you know, Nick Holden's out. Pretty minor deal, but there's Rick Nash. That's definitely on the table. I think that one's uh, pretty obvious. Um, and then there's Michael Grabner. There's yeah. Ryan McDonough who may move. Um, but let's talk about Nash. So he's a UFA. He's 33. Uh, he has a 12-team trade list, so no one really knows um, you know, what sort of small group that he is uh, allowing the Rangers to talk to. Yeah. But he's kind of... Since he's so available, he's almost the crown jewel of the deadline mm-hmm. because it yep. seems almost inevitable that he's going to move. Um, it's been a while, though, since he's been a dominant force in yep. this league. And um, that big contract, while it's expiring and while it's only going to be about, what, 20% of it by yeah. the time they, they acquire him, it's still some money coming in that, that maybe some teams can't uh, finagle. What do you think of, of Nash and, and his whereabouts in the next couple weeks? Well... I think the Rangers did a great job um, getting ahead of this, setting expectations for their fans. I mean, like most people, would, they were three points out, I think, of a playoff spot at the time. And, you know, people are kind of like, you know, what are you doing giving up on, on this? But, you know, if you looked at that team, you didn't think they were really a threat to win the Stanley Cup this year. Um, and if you decide that you want to rebuild and, okay, well, manage your fans' expectations for it. and Because, frankly, a lot of teams, I think, they maybe underestimate their fans. In that, like, if you tell your fans, okay, look, this is what we're gonna we're gonna do, you know, kind of have some faith in us, and, and we're gonna follow this process. Most fans, I think, kind of understand that. I would agree with that. I mean, look at Toronto. Look at how things went in Toronto, yep. right? Mike Babcock came in here and told you you're gonna have years of pain, and I mean, basically, under promise and over deliver is the is the objective, yep. right? And so, if you're the Rangers, you know, your fans don't expect anything this year, obviously, and they probably aren't going to expect anything next year as you get younger and bring in new faces. You know, who knows? By the year after that, the Rangers might be right back, you know, into the playoff mix again with a much younger team, and you might feel a whole lot better about things. And your fans are, are along for the ride because you kind of set them in the um, in the right path. And, and so, I do think the Rangers made a smart move by doing that. Nash is an obvious one to move out. Um, he's got lots of appeal around the league, um, right? Is because as much Not as he former first overall, well, put yeah, up big points and, and, as and a young his, guy, and, and well, and you know played for the Olympic team and, yeah. and things like that. Like he's, got, he's, got, he's got a huge yeah. um, kind of resume. Um, and yes, he's not a dominant player anymore, but I think if you're a team who wants a winger to play on your second or even third line, depending on how, how your team is set up, um, and a guy who can create offense from that spot, I think Nash is still a pretty good addition, right? Like, I mean, one of the teams that gets mentioned with him is Dallas, you know, the Ken Hitchcock connection from right. uh, Columbus and, and that. But if you look at that, like Dallas, you know, in their ideal world, I think Dallas has Ben Sagan and Radulov running on the on the first line. Well, if they, but what do they have if, after if, that? Right? If Nash comes in as on their second line, yeah. well, all of a sudden that really is a useful addition for them. And, and so, um, and it, you know, not just Dallas, but that's just an example where uh, a team that kind of has their stars up top, 
Nash can slide in and, and provide offense. Now, I mean, the interesting thing with Rick Nash is his history in the playoffs is that he generates shots like a like a superstar and can't score. Fifteen right? goals in seventy-seven playoff games. Yeah, like not and, great. Well, and, but fifteen goals in seventy-seven playoff games while generating like four shots a game. Like he he's shooting like five or six percent, which is you know that's fourth liner kind of kind of finish, which you know that's. You know, not really what he's been through no. in his career. So how how that's happened to him just in the playoffs is, you know, bizarre. But um, yeah, I think he's going to have plenty of appeal. Uh, and and as to the contract, I think uh, what you end up with is the Rangers probably in order to maximize the return, they might yeah, why not, they right? might they might uh, you know retain salary yeah right. Like if if that's what's required, clearly they can afford them they, now. They so. can, yeah, they, they can certainly afford to keep half the salary for the last quarter of the season. Like yeah. that's that's not a, an issue really for the Rangers as long as long as they get a good return. I right. mean, that's the whole the whole battle with teams. If you're going to retain salary, well, you do it because you're going to get something better in return, right? And just sorry to double back on Ottawa for a second. Yeah, no problem. Is that you know there's been talk about Bobby Ryan. Uh, as sort of the price to get Eric the, the Carlson, sweetener, right? That yeah. you have to take Bobby Ryan in that, in that awful contract. Um, I mean, if you're if you're Ottawa, if you attach Bobby Ryan to that uh, to an outgoing Eric Carlson, well, that means you get less in return, like in terms of quality. Maybe you get five assets, but the assets aren't going to be nearly as good as if you just trade Eric Carlson without Bobby Ryan. And I, mean, I guess that's a, a calculation you have to make: is, is whether that's worth it. Um, I mean, it, it's tough. For it would Ottawa. be nice for Ottawa to not have. Well, they already got rid of enough. Getting rid of Bobby Ryan would be, you know, yeah. not not even financially, but just as like something that's just sitting on your cap friendly page and screaming out at everyone yeah. that it comes across. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, I just yeah. feel like it. It gives so much flexibility moving forward because I don't know how many years, but multiple years. Oh, he's yeah. still there. Yeah, and and like so, I understand doing it, but it's just. Any any time, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're gonna unload that bad contract, it means you're getting less in terms of the assets that are uh, gonna come back. And, and so, you know, with the Rangers, like I, I think, you know, they can put themselves in a position to get a good return for Nash because they can withhold salary, and uh, and it's not a really a challenge for them. Philosophical question here: If you are uh, the Rangers brass, uh, Glenn Sather and Jeff Gordon. Are you going to Hendrick Lundqvist and going, what do you think of this? Not necessarily like pulling the trigger, like, you know, having him in on meetings, but sort of like, you know, patting him on the back and yeah. being like, it's going to be okay because Lundqvist wants to stay there through the rebuild. So you would assume that they want to at least keep him happy instead of having this disgruntled guy who's going to yeah. be around for the next however many years. Yeah. Well, I mean, like uh, a superstar goaltender who stares daggers into his defenseman all the time, <laughs> right? And and he's had lots of reason to do it this year. And so this is the... Um, look, I understand if Lundqvist wants to stay. He's you know he's been in New York for his entire career. And, um, and, you know, and he's played at a high level. Like last year his game kind of fell off a bit, but he's kind of bounced back this year and has been really good behind a bad, behind a bad defense. He's winning, their, he's winning them games yeah. when... You could argue he shouldn't be, but yep. he's just a competitor. Yep, and and so I understand if you know if you're sort of settled and comfortable in your life in, in Manhattan, and, and that's what you want. Um, but I, I, th- I think if, if I was the Rangers, if I'm you know, philosophically, like I, I'd want to come to him and go, "What about if we <laughs> if if we moved you to you know Team XYZ?" Um, I think I threw out once on Twitter, said, "Throw him to Carolina." 
right? Carolina has, has you know, they, they, they hoped that they had solved their goaltending with Scott Darling this year, and it doesn't appear to be the case. But, you know, give Carolina a legit goaltender and see what happens there. Um, was my suggestion. And well, now, and you would get yeah. probably a couple of their decent forwards coming sure. back. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, prospects. And, um, but the you know the whole point would be whether Henrik Lundqvist would even want to go. And and if he doesn't want to go, you know you're getting nothing. Um, and, and so, I but he's the one guy that's that's seems like they're not they're not going to you know tinker with. It's yeah. like McDonough. Obviously, a huge part of their core. They're willing to, to at least talk about yeah, it. And Rick I think, Nash I think is Zuccarello on his way out. Is, 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 has even there been mentioned. And, and honestly, if Kreider, if Kreider hadn't been out with uh, the blood clots, he would probably be in play because he's always in trade, always in trade oh, room. It's going to be Mika Zibanejad and Henrik Lundqvist, basically, yeah. by the end of this, this bloodbath. It's kind of, that's kind of what it looks like. And so, but, you know, going to your bigger philosophical question on this is, I mean, Henrik Lundqvist, 35, right? Like, he's been a great goaltender. And but you know what? What if if this year and next year are effectively write-off seasons for for the Rangers for being competitive? Well, then you know what do you think of Henrik Lundqvist at 37, 38? Like he might still be great, but boy, you're uh, you know that's you're defying the odds um, if you're still going to be great at that age in, in the National Hockey League. So um, I mean, if I yeah, if I was the Rangers, I would you know whisper in Lundqvist's ear and see if there's anywhere that he'd be interested in going. And if there isn't, then there isn't, and, yeah. you, and you rebuild around him. But um, I, I think it's a it's a tough spot if if he doesn't want to go because you know, he's sort of a fixture there. From from Nash to another uh, power forward, Evander Kane in Buffalo, another UFA. Uh, Kane is twenty six, on pace for twenty six goals, fifty three points. Um, production has tailed off a bit in two thousand eighteen, but. When you look on it, he got off to a good start. Yeah, when you look over the full year, like it's he's gonna have a pretty good year, assuming he keeps up his pace. Um, he's fifth in the league in shots, so he generates a ton. And you assume if he has a good playmaker with him, uh, more more goals will go in, or more shots will go in. Uh, plays sheltered minutes, a lot of uh, offensive zone starts. Um, he's healthy, hasn't missed a game. What do you think happens with him? Because there's there's always a cloud over Evander Kane. Yeah. Like you know, should should a especially at this time of year where the buyers they they have good quote unquote locker room chemistry. They have um, their leadership intact. In they have this and that going for them. Like there's a reason why they're buying, yeah. and a lot of people think that Evander Kane. And I don't want to speculate, but they think for whatever reason he's going to disrupt that. And it's not necessarily about his hockey playing, but it's yeah. something to do with with off the ice. What do you think of Kane? Yeah, I think uh, he got off to a really good start earlier this year. Like his his pace was, um, you know, he was going to score thirty plus goals, and, and it looked like he would be almost the prize of uh, of the deadline. But as his production has sort of waned, then you know, I think it's easier for teams to start questioning the other stuff too. Uh, because the other stuff is there, right? Like, it, um, you know, he didn't leave Winnipeg on great terms. I mean, his teammates despised him. Um, and uh, I don't know that th- there have been any issues with teammates in Buffalo, but he's had lots of off-ice issues uh, in Buffalo, right? Like, uh, you know, charged with various assaults. And, and so, like, any team, like, if you're a team who's looking for a, a winger who's going to come in and give you sort of secondary scoring, and you have... You know, Rick Nash is a guy who has never never gets in trouble and um, you know has the history that he does. Or Evander Kane, who's you know good player, but also has these kind of things you might worry about. 
Well, I think, you know, Kane goes after Nash uh, goes on the most, most, order. most likely because, you know, if, if you have your choice between the two, teams are probably going to want Nash. Um, but I, like, I, I think Kane, you know, can be a good player basically as long as he stays out of trouble. And I think Boston could benefit from acquiring Kane um, to just complement the behind that amazing first line. Yeah. To, to plug in there on the second on the second line and just add some jam. I know that's like a, a lame cliche word, but if you look at the Boston Forward group, you're like, yeah, they could. I mean, they have they have Backus and they have Bacchus, a couple other yeah. guys that that bang around. But I mean, Kane's more skilled than than Backus, and I think that putting him on the power play, if you don't, if, even if it's second unit, that that helps as well. So when I'm sort of looking at the puzzle pieces, Boston comes to mind. So does Pittsburgh. Uh, just because their window is is only going to be open for so long, so I yeah. feel like they're they're in swing for the fences mode. And I know Jim Rutherford has, I mean, he hasn't come out and said we're going to go big, but he's basically said like, let's do this. I want to acquire someone. Yeah. So you think that you know he's possibly kicking tires on Kane? Who knows? Um, but if we talk about Buffalo in general, and this isn't necessarily an Evander Kane thing. Yeah. How are the Sabers going to turn this thing around? Like, they haven't made they. <laughs> They've made maybe one baby step forward yeah. since uh, Jack Eichel was drafted. Like it feels like they've they've gone you know forward a couple steps, back three, forward one, back five. Like it's just it's <laughs> yeah. constant. And, and, and do, do you have do you have an answer to this? Um, I would say like th- this year, I think they had expectations for better, right? I don't think they they were expected to be a playoff team, but I mean part of it is you have a brand new head head coach in Phil Housley, and I I don't yeah, know, I don't know whether. I honestly don't know whether he's a good or bad coach, um, but um, you know they made moves to improve their defense, which that seemed to be the clearing issue. And they traded to get Marco Scandella and Nathan Beaulieu, and I, I, you know both those moves were fine. Um, but I think when you look at um, you know the team as a whole, they're, they're still got enough you know guys who aren't who aren't good enough to be playing regular roles in the NHL that are that are in that lineup now. I look at it and think that if you're Jason Bottrell, you get to kind of come in and your first year is almost not a freebie, but you kind of get to use that first year as evaluation. Um, now, yeah, I think now that also means by now he's probably he's evaluated enough and is ready to, you know, start clearing the decks of, of some of these guys. Um, but like I, I think the sort of the, the future of the Sabers is built around Eichel, uh, around Casey Middlestadt. Um, you know, who played for the U.S. and yep. the World Juniors, and then whoever they get with their presumably high first-round pick this year. Rasmus Dahlin. Yeah, well, I mean, look, at it. if that's who they got, that would be a, a huge, that's going to be a huge boost for whoever gets it. But whoever they get with that pick, like, those are the three guys that I think are sort of the core uh, for building. Um, basically, anyone else, I think, has to be kind of available. Like it doesn't mean you you ship everybody out for nothing, but like if somebody came and, and what like the the most interesting name of that team then to me is Ryan O'Reilly. Yes, because he's a very good player, um, but he's you know still under contract I think for five more years at, at big money. Um, that if you're the Sabers and and you think you know the, the future is going to be around Eichel, Middlestadt, and 2018 first rounder whoever <laughs> that, whoever that is, you know by the time those guys are you know really. You know, ready to, to play and, and do some damage in the league. You know, O'Reilly is a few more years down the road, most likely, and, and then you're 
um, you know, you're not sure whether you want to be tied to that $7.5 million cap hit. And so, and like, if you're a team who's, you know, desperate for help down the middle, Ryan O'Reilly, you know, is probably a low end number one, certainly a great number two center um, for a lot of teams. So, but to do that, you would, you would expect to get a pretty significant return. And um, I guess we'll see how, uh, how eager um, Botterill is to, to make changes there. But I, I think, you know, having his first year of evaluation, I, I, I would bet he's prepared to do all kinds of moving and shaking with the Sabres now. Well, of course you don't want to uh, jump on these guys too aggressively, uh, the, the Housley-Botterill duo, because, you know, it's their first year and yeah. they're both new in their roles across the league. They've been around, but, you know, it's, it's different being the guy in charge. Um, the thing with the Sabres is like, okay, yes, they don't have all the right pieces. They don't, you know, they they have, you know, Eichel and they have they have O'Reilly and they have uh, this guy, that guy that that you think is part of the core. They just don't seem to be having any fun though. Like it's yeah. it's I would say they're the most miserable team in the league. <laughs> like Arizona is just there being yeah. a bad hockey team, but like. Buffalo and, and maybe it trickles down from Eichel, who seems to just hate I, I and despise say, you, losing. You can really sense it from Eichel. Like yeah, the, dis- the body the dis- language, the disappointment just you know oozes at him. And like, it's not a bad th- thing. Th- it isn't. Like honestly, I, and I go back to Connor McDavid's first year in Edmonton. I remember seeing some games where you know he's an 18 year old kid who's flying around the ice and doing everything. And then some teammate would you know make a ridiculous play, and you could see the the look on Connor McDavid's face, like what am I doing yeah. here? And I'm sure I was I'm better sure, off in the area. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he's he's made the face this year too, yeah. uh, given the way things are going in Edmonton. But I think that happens with Eichel to maybe more so in Buffalo because it happens more, right? That you know he hasn't really had any success um, with the team, and and so it's it gets hard to keep kind of going out there and grinding and losing night after night, especially when you know he's a really great player, like a really really good player, taking second overall. But hockey is, it doesn't, like, unless you are, you know, McDavid, Gretzky, Lemieux, one single guy yeah, isn't going to come and turn it. your team around. And, no. and so as great as Jack Eichel might be, he needs help. And, you know, and so I, I think, especially when you're a young guy like that, it's tough to sit there and just go, okay, well, this is another year of us getting our brains beat in. Um, you know, when, when is that going to stop? And, and I guess he has to wait and see because this has been another year of getting his brains beat in. I'm glad you brought up uh, McDavid and the Oilers because that brings us to our next guy, Patrick Maroon. Mm -hmm. 29-year-old, another power forward that seems to be uh, the theme of of this deadline. Uh, UFA, um, do you have have any feeling like or or, or do you think that he would fit uh, on a certain roster? Uh, Nashville kind of comes to mind with me. They could just use an extra forward to plug in there. Um, That, you know, they're top to bottom a pretty pretty deep team but you know if they're going to do something maybe that's it Did anything come He's, to mind uh, maroon to me has found himself kind of a, a good niche as a as a, a guy who can play with really good players Right, like he he's thrived alongside McDavid in, in Edmonton, but also he played well with Getzlaff in, in Anaheim. Now you can say, well, of course, playing with those guys, you know, you should be good, but there are all kinds of guys who can't. Well, it's the, right? it's the like, Sidney Crosby, you know, yeah, effect in and, in Pittsburgh. And, Sometimes it just doesn't work out, and they cycle through to another guy. Yeah. It works out, and they keep him there, and, and, and every so, year is a new guy. So I, I think if you know if you're a, a team who's looking to get Maroon, and, and you want him to score, and 
you know, he scored, what, 27 goals last year. He's not on, on that kind of pace this year. But if you want him to come in and, and give you some offense, well, you have to give him, you know, a playmaking center who's, who's going to be the one who handles the puck and, and creates the plays because Maroon, you know, he's big and can get to the front of the net, but he's not going to come in and carry the puck over the line and, and make plays. That's not, not his thing. And so, um, you know, where is there a, a fit for that? I mean, I, like Nashville's not bad, um, but I also think that if, if you bring him a rune and he ends up kind of on your third or fourth line, then you end up with a third or fourth liner, right? Like he, if he if he's with guys who aren't terribly skilled, well, he's not going to produce anything for you. All of a sudden, the game slows down. He's checking more. Well, and yeah. and he'll I mean he'll revert to not necessarily revert, but he'll be the physical winger that yeah. he can be. But you're sort of missing out on the the, the, score, the scoring touch yeah. that he also has. Um, and, he, and he's done it in the playoffs. You know, back when he was in, in Anaheim, they, they had some um, some decent success playing with Getzlaff and Perry and, and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think Maroon's an interesting um, guy to get. And I think the, the Oilers are probably going to, you know, ask for something significant. I think I've seen that they might be asking for a first-rounder for him, which... That'd be a huge get. Yeah, for them. it would be. And, and But, like, the thing is, like, Edmonton's probably letting him go... Um, you know, through gritted teeth, because that's the kind of guy that they they married themselves to. They want they want their forwards to be like Maroon and Lucic and Cassian. Like they want these big, you know, maulers. Um, but that's also part of the reason that they're struggling. Is that, yeah, you know, you, you can't have too many of those guys because the league is just too fast. And so, um, but a team like Nashville, I mean, Nashville's really fast. They can afford to slide yeah. Maroon into their lineup if if that's what it is. And like I think. When you're looking at Nashville, it seems to be that you know you would move Scott Hartnell down mm-hmm. uh, a spot um, because, like on the left side, um, they already have Forsberg and Fiala uh, on the top two spots, and they're, and they're, 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 they're both yeah. you know doing really well. So you know if you add Maroon there on, on the third line, that'd still be all right. Um, but um, yeah, he'll be an interesting one. I, and in in some ways, he's he's the kind of guy that old school GMs would you know trip over themselves to get and, and you see whether or not like e- even though like his results are, are decent analytics wise too but i think you know the old school gm see the the six foot four guy who, oh, yeah. who fights and can score and think oh yeah this is that's a guy i want so the, probably my favorite guy available uh just to move on to the detroit yeah. red wings my favorite guy available is mike green because he's just i just feel like um one, he comes up in rumors all the time. Mm-hmm. Two, he I don't know if he's like personally been coming out with, with it, but it's like it's been known all season that this guy isn't gonna last in in Detroit. Um he's an offensive defenseman, thirty two. Uh I believe he has a no trade, so that changes yeah. things. But uh people are some people label him as like, you know, a guy that could be a top pairing defenseman. I think he's way past that now. He's he's third pairing and then maybe quarterback on yeah. your power play, depending on what your situation is there. That's that's totally what I, I think is third player third pairing and quarterback power play. And and there's value to that. It, it just uh, but, is, but as long as you understand that's what you're getting. He has a lot of name value, I guess is what I'm trying to sure. say. And it's hard to figure out exactly what he is at thirty two. Um, but my best guess would be Power play quarterback, um, whether it's first or second unit, and then uh, third pairing on it. Then we're talking about on a good team. Like yeah. I would like him on my third pair if I'm a, if I'm yeah. a contending team. Yep. And 
I mean, in, in some ways, he, he's a, a poor man's version of, say, Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, yep. Right. Like Shat, Shattenkirk had, I like I think Shattenkirk is you can fit Shattenkirk in your top four and and, and be fine. Um, but that's basically what he was doing in St. Louis, right? Is they had Petrangelo and, and Pareko ahead of him on the right side, and and so he was you know third pair guy and he, and you know fantastic on the power play. So there's still value there. Well, now I wonder Green, if, if sorry to cut you off, but I yeah. wonder if while you're on St. Louis, I wonder if they would be. Because you look at their power play, and of all the contending teams, they have one of the worst yep. in the league. And Shattenkirk kind of pops out as that, maybe that a reason why. Like, yeah, well, and and um, right, they have a bit of a need on. I know he's on the left side, but Joel Edmondson is out, and so they've kind of been plugging in bodies there in the meantime. So yeah, Green I think is is viable there. One of the spots that I you know kind of ran through my brain today on, on this was Vegas. That would right? be fun. Is I mean, because George McPhee is in Vegas, obviously right, had right. him in, in Washington. Um, UFA, so they're not tying their. Yeah, there's, you're not tied to him long term. This is, you know, something you. They have cap room. Basically, where Vegas is realizing that they can be buyers instead of sellers at, at the trade deadline, you know, you don't. They certainly aren't going to, you know, give up a great picks or anything. I don't think to to get him. Um, but like, if you looked at say. The 2019 draft. I think they have three seconds and three thirds. I mean, you can package a few of those yeah. things and, and and maybe a prospect to Detroit, and maybe that maybe that is enough value for Detroit to, to consider doing it. And particularly if Green has some say in where he's going, you know, maybe that that helps. But and I and I look at um, you know what Vegas has, has done has been obviously an amazing story. Um, but you know, if you gave them another puck moving defenseman, that probably wouldn't hurt. Well. If you like throughout the season, I've been d- checking in on Vegas, you know, underlying numbers, their special teams, whatever. And it seems like their special teams has been the one thing that hasn't been at the top of the league. Like they're not, yeah. they're not dreadful, but this might be, you know, the one spot that they go, this is super low risk to, to pick up Mike Green. Like, yeah, we got to fork over a couple assets, but of all moves, it, it seems like, you know, almost win-win assuming that that green comes in and is his self that he's been this season which has been decent yeah so i, I think i like big, that big thing with with green is expectations right don't don't expect mike green of you know a decade ago yes who was scoring a point a game and you know and he was killing part, it part of that high-flying offense with ovechkin Did, and like they they were crazy wasn't he scoring like 20 25 goals yeah. a year like just yeah. like he had two years though where he had where he was over a point a game, like 143 back points. Back when no one got a point a game per game. Or something, as a defenseman, like <laughs> cra- crazy numbers. And and so, you know, don't expect that that's the Mike Green you're getting. But if you get a guy who's, you know, decent right shot, who can quarterback your power play and probably pay, play on your third pair, you know, recognize that there's value to that. And, and you know, and if you happen to be a team who has needs, uh, like you've mentioned St. Louis and, and Vegas, and, and I'm sure there will be others. I mean, there um Look, I know there are people who have lobbied for Toronto to to get in on the Mike Green. Um, you know, push they have the, prospects. They have guys uh, they, sitting. They have around. they have the guys to give. I don't know how much how much desperation the yeah. Leafs feel to right. to go and get them. You know, I, I I think having seen how well Dermot has played on the mm-hmm. on the line, I know he's on the left side, not the right. Yeah. But having seen how well Dermot has played, I think the Leafs feel a little less desperate. To make sure. a move, like I think if, if you know in in November you were looking at the Toronto Blue Line and you're, and you're kind of going, oh boy, if these guys are going to contend, they they have to yeah. make a move because this isn't good enough. Well, it's getting closer to good enough. You know, they're not they're not perfect, but 
I mean, if you looked at Toronto's blue line now and compared it to the blue line that Pittsburgh won the cup with last year, I mean, the Leafs blue line is vastly better. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yes, you don't have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin to, to carry your offense, but, you know, the Leafs have a pretty good offense, and if that defense kind of continues to get better and Dermott's, um, you know, continues to play well and, and Riley and Gardner are playing well, you know, you you probably don't feel this desperate need to go out and, and, and add somebody. They they still might because, like you said, they have the assets to to move if they want to. But a Josh Levo. But but or... I don't think it's it's a desperate thing. I think they can do it if they're kind of if the price is right. <laughs> Another thing that Mike Green has in his back pocket, well, I guess it's technically Detroit, is that he's a right hand defenseman. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's difficult to uh, not emphasize that like this is the nhl that we're living in where right-hand defensemen are put on a pedestal and to be honest rightfully so because there's so few good uh, actual quality right-handed defensemen so you know that all of a sudden puts him up a couple notches in terms of what he's going to bring back to detroit and what type of value that team perceives he will bring yeah and and, like i i know kind of in in recent years uh, there have been studies about you know how left-right pairings tend to do better. I, I'd still like to dig into uh, the numbers on those a little bit more because some of my my concern would be is that teams try and get left-right on their top two pairs as best they can, mm-hmm. uh, understandably, uh, but sometimes your third pair is just who you've got. Yeah. Um, you know, okay, these are the guys we have in our contract, so <laughs> you guys are, are going to be playing on a third pair and your two lefts or two rights or, or whatever. And just, just uh, hold and, down the and, fort. And, yeah, <laughs> and, you know, you guys are going to play 12 minutes a game, so, you know, don't kill us. Um, whereas, you know, that separation of left-right, I think, matters a little bit more at the, at the top end of the depth chart more than... Um, all the way through uh, and, and now but that's that's I think why some teams can might talk themselves into into Mike Green higher on the on the depth chart in some ways too is because uh, there's a right-handed defenseman and he can move the puck and you know if we put him with you know a stay-at-home guy you might feel like uh, you know Green's defensive uh, shortcomings aren't, aren't going to be a huge issue for you. Scott do you have any other trade deadline thoughts you need to get off your chest right now? Um at you least one. You know, I, one. I will. I will throw out um, sort of an, an overarching one, and we've we already touched on Vancouver and Ottawa, but also Montreal as a a team that's obviously had a disappointing season, and, and I think in in all those cases you've got uh, general managers who um, who sort of steered these teams in, into their current uh, spot. Uh, and, and they're all Canadian teams, which I don't think is a coincidence. Well, well and and, <laughs> and right, there's and so, always drama. And there's and, and so Vancouver gives Jim Benning a contract extension. And his first act of of uh, under that new contract is, is to go get Eric Branson yeah. or get him re-signed to a, uh, an extension. And then um, Ottawa, they've signed Pierre Dorian to the to the contract extension. And and I mean he he's got a lot on his plate based on all yes. the all the rumors we've talked about. But one of the things he's like he's Cody Cece is a guy that he's, you know, don't get me started on prepared to prepared to ride or die with Cody Cece, and and it's like, you know, maybe the people who led you into this mess, maybe they're not the right guys to lead yeah. you out, yeah. you know, because and and the thing is like, Benning he knows what the analytics say on Eric Goodbranson, and he's going, you know, I don't care. And, and Dorian knows what the analytics say about Cody Cece. I mean, the pairing of Cece and Phaneuf since the start of last season has probably been the worst defense pairing in the league. 
like a, certainly of regular guys who played a certain amount of right. minutes together, they're the worst. Like shots against, in on shots against, scoring chances against, goals against. Like it's ugly. Yeah. And and so now you trade Fanuf and okay, well we'll try, you know, see whether CC can play better down the stretch with somebody else. But I'd be really careful about deciding. Okay, we're gonna sign long term for Cody CC because maybe he's the one who was the problem on that pair and not Fanuf. You know, we'll, we'll find out. But I I, I worry about. Um, whether these GMs necessarily are the guy to get you out of trouble or you're just going to end up sinking further in. And so when it goes to Montreal, um, you know, Mark Bergevin a couple years ago when, um, it, you know, when, when they made the Subban trade, never mind the trade itself, but, you know, he was holding press conference about how now we have the character on this yes. team. We're not going to run uh, into trouble the way we did this past year, kind of ignoring the fact they ran into trouble because Carey Price was hurt. He just thought that character was going to overcome that. Well, you find out that no, it doesn't. Like, talent matters in this league a lot, and and as the general manager, you're the one responsible for uh, for bringing in that talent. And so, how is Bergeron going to get the Montreal Canadiens out of the kind of the mess that they're in currently? Like, if if you look at their roster and you say, okay, well, they've missed Shea Weber for a bunch of time this year. Okay, so Shea Weber comes back next year. What then? Like, are they, is this suddenly a, a playoff contender just because they have Shea Weber? I mean, they, they need a center. They, they don't have a, a decent first-line center and probably not even a, a legitimate second-line center in the league. Um, you could and, write, like, a trilogy of books on Montreal not having a, a center. This, yeah. That storyline has not gone away for as long as I can remember. And, and you know, and all this talk of, of whether they're going to trade Max Pacioretty, um, you know, Pacioretty scored all the all these goals that he scored for them have basically been without a legit. That's that's one guy where I center. go, okay, let's let's settle down here because, you know, you're, like you're alluding to, you know, in in Edmonton they're making changes. Ottawa, it's like in Montreal if they keep turning over all their talent, what are they going to be left with? Pacioretty, yeah, his shooting percentage was like dreadful to start the season. He's one of the better scorers in the league if you trade him away you have to replace him with someone and where is that someone going to be you he might be the guy that you 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 stick with through this retooling or whatever you want to call it because otherwise good luck finding a guy who gets you who's getting you 30 goals a year without a a number one center essentially right so i'm that's one name that when it comes up i'm like don't do this to yourself because it's going to put you back a couple years even though it seems tempting to just clear house well the and and the issue you know, becomes is Patrick has one more year left on his deal, but his deal has been a bargain for them. So um, I think he's a four and a half million dollar cap hit for a guy who's been giving you 30 goals right. every year. Um, that if you're if you're Montreal and, and you're not prepared to sign him to like this, this is the same thing as Ottawa with Carlson. If you're not prepared to pay him market price, you know, a year from now, then Patrick should be on the, on the market because, you know, because if you're not going to pay market price, like that's what it's going to take to keep him. Uh, around, I think you know if you're if you're Pacioretty, you've given you've given them plenty of value for the contract, um, and you know this next deal that you sign is you, is your kind of chance to to really cash in. And uh, and if you're Montreal and you just, I mean Montreal is they're kind of stuck in between, right? Yeah, like if they really are, it, because if you're rebuilding, well then you trade Pacioretty, you trade Price, you trade Weber. Like those are guys who are thirty, right? Like. You, you're not rebuilding around guys that age, but if you're keeping Price and you're keeping Weber, it's got to happen pretty well, quick. Well, then you maybe you do have to keep Pacioretty around yeah. and hope that you can make this team good right away. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, like, and 
and when you look at the guys who, who they talk about trading, like they talk about trading Pachere, they talk about trading Galchenyuk, and yeah, Galchenyuk's had a bad season for them. But like, if you look down that roster, how many guys have more talent? Like, not many, right? And but I, I mean, I, I think they've probably misused Galchenyuk for most of his career, if not all of it. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if they if they move Galchenyuk out, whether it's at the deadline or, or at some point this summer. I mean, I, I all the reports were after they traded for Druin last year that he was on his way out the door. You know that that they had that they were calling around on on Galchenyuk, and I, I think I put out on Twitter, I kind of you know, what if. <laughs> what if you put Galchenyuk and Druin together Ooh. and maybe just see what happens? You know, like there's this team that doesn't have a whole lot of talent. Maybe keep a little bit of it around and, and just see whether they can create some offense. And and so if, you know, if Bergevin is going to dig the Canadians out of this hole, like he's he's shown that he's not afraid to make big deals. So I, I expect that he, he probably would try and do that. But... You know, if you're going to make those big deals and, and it involves like Pacioretty or Galchenyuk, well, you need more skill coming back in because that's that's the area where they're deficient right now. Yeah, I'll give them props, these three, Ottawa, Montreal, and Edmonton, for keeping things entertaining because these, <laughs> G- these GMs yeah. just, they don't know which way they're going and then they end up trading a, you know, a franchise player. It, it's definitely entertaining, I'll say that. Scott, thanks for coming in. How how can people read your stuff? Obviously, tsn.ca, yeah. but what's your... Come, uh, come to tsn.ca and, and look for Statistically Speaking. That's, that's where a lot of my stuff is. Uh, but if you want to track me down on Twitter, I'm at TSN Scott Cullen. Um, up there uh, you know, with the masses. Uh, deal, lots of deal, takes, deal, lots deal, of hot takes. Dealing with lots of angry fans for the, mo- for the <laughs> most part. You get... Uh, you know, fantasy fans sometimes and, and most fantasy fans aren't angry right everybody in fantasy just wants to get a little bit better and, and you know ho- hopefully if i can give you a tip or two that, that helps then then great uh but you know re- real fans who are upset about what their gms are doing there are a lot of a lot more of those these days all right scott appreciate your time and we'll do this again sometime because yeah. I, I i genuinely enjoyed it yeah this is cool thank you <laughs>